Good afternoon and welcome to From Where We Are, stories of news and culture through the lens of Southern California and USC. I'm Zain Khan. And I'm Erica Driscoll. We're coming to you live from Studio B and USC's Annenberg Media Center. It's Thursday, February 15th, 2024. On today's show, we talk about how to vote in the upcoming undergraduate student government elections, celebrate 85 years of the Los Angeles Union Station, and dive into Beyonce's new country tracks. 16 carriages driving away while I them ride with my... All that and more on today's From, From Where, Where We, we are. are, after these news headlines. From Annenberg Media, I'm Anthony Klingerman. Donald Trump's New York trial in the infamous Stormy Daniels case is set to begin March 25th and marks the first time a U.S. president will be publicly tried for criminal charges. Trump is facing 34 felonies tied to falsification of business records, as the Republican hopeful is accused of funneling money through Michael Cohen in order to hide an affair. Trump is currently pursuing legal immunity from a separate January 6th case in the Supreme Court, but spoke outside of the courthouse today after learning that the New York trial will proceed as planned. What it is is election interference. It's being run by Joe Biden's White House. This is just a way of hurting me in the election because I'm leading by a lot. We're leading by numbers that nobody's ever seen before. Folding chairs outside of Kansas City's Union Station displays a new message for onlookers today. KC Strong. After police detained three suspects in connection to Wednesday's Super Bowl parade shooting, two of the suspects are reported to be juveniles under the age of 18, and no charges are currently filed against the suspects. Authorities have also said that multiple weapons were recovered from the site. Children's Mercy Hospital treated 11 children injured during the shooting and at least nine sustained gunshot injuries. University Health received an additional eight gunshot victims with two in critical condition, and Dr. Dustin Neal spoke at a press conference about the condition they arrived in. Had he had not made it here as fast as he had, he might not be with us now. He sustained extremely life-threatening injuries, and fortunately, thanks to Dr. Carney's uh, triage, our Casey Fire and Police Department, he was able to get here quickly. The White House has confirmed leaked intelligence that reported Russia's development of a satellite hunting space weapon, but denied any immediate threat to the United States or its allies. This isn't the first time that the global powers have looked to militarize outer space. The Reagan administration hoped to deploy Star Wars' anti-nuclear weapon defense system to space in the 80s, and Russia itself has conducted ongoing satellite weapons tests since at least 2020, according to a 2022 Defense Intelligence Agency report. This week marks a low point in the superhero film business as Sony's Madam Web released to a $6 million box office and a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. The movie follows Dakota Johnson's clairvoyant paramedic on a journey to save a non-MCU Spider-Man universe. I've seen that man before. So who is he? Ezekiel Sims. He was in the Amazon with my mom when she was researching spiders right before she died. But it isn't all doom and gloom for Hollywood, as another newly released film is experiencing a different 
kind of high. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that thing. That every little thing gonna be alright. Paramount's Bob Marley, One Love, released to a $14 million Valentine's Day record and has attracted high audience review scores. The biopic is produced by the late musician's family and aims to become a similar success to Elvis or Rocket Man. And those are some of the headlines from the news. Undergraduate student government elections for the 2024-2025 school year are in full swing on USC's campus. Students can cast their vote in the upcoming week in support for their electoral candidates. USG's ballot will be both in person and online, featuring a new change that includes a ranked choice format. Becca Spear has the story. Students will be able to vote for a new USG president and vice president duo, as well as new senatorial candidates. Voting will begin this Tuesday and last until midnight Friday. The ballots for both the president and senate elections will be in ranked choice format. This allows voters to list their first choice option, second choice option, and so on. This change was petitioned by the Chief Justice Nivia Krishnan. The benefit with ranked choice voting is that you actually get someone winning that like gets the majority of votes based on the way that ranked choice voting is tabulated. While voting numbers have trended low in previous years, Chief Justice Krishnan believes students should get their money's worth for this election. The number that they need to remember is $64. That is the amount from their tuition that they pay to the school that goes to funding student government. Student government has a $2.5 million budget, and the entirety of those $2.5 million comes directly from the undergraduate student body. So regardless of your opinions on USG, the reality is you're paying for us to exist. That means that you should take a vested interest in ensuring that the people you elect are people that are going to be re representing your interests and what you want to see at the school. Students can choose to vote in person at polling places on campus or online through USG's election platform. USG will update its website with an election form when polls open. Online voting will be available at all times of the day when the polls open, but students can only vote in person at the polling places from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. Tuesday through Friday. If students choose to vote in person, they can cast their vote at one of the booths on campus. The locations include Tommy Trojan, Alumni Park, Party Lawn, Levy Library, and SEIP Center. During voting week, there will be three vendors available Tuesday through Friday to award those who participate in the USG election. Once students submit their ballot, they can screenshot their voting confirmation to earn a free meal ticket for the day's designated vendor. On Tuesday, the vendor will be Fluff Ice, on Wednesday, it will be Porto's, and on Thursday, it'll be Dazzling Donuts. For Annenberg Media, I'm Becca Spire. To learn more about the USG candidates, tune in to From Where We Are Next Week. Tonight, Union Station is hosting a cultural exhibition to celebrate the station's 85th anniversary. Pickle Coleman has the story. It's the 85th anniversary of LA's iconic landmark, Union Station. To celebrate, they are featuring an exhibition called Where You Stand, Chinatown, 1880-1939. to 1939. 
The exhibit will tie back to the origins of the station as it currently stands in the exact location of LA's original Chinatown. Junior Sonia Verma shared her love for the art and history of Union Station that's recognized in the exhibit. I'm really glad that there's a place that so many people see every day and are like crossing by, recognizing the community that was there before them and teaching more people about the history of like Chinatown in Los Angeles specifically. Verma appreciates how the art in Union Station reflects the community it serves. I go to Union Station quite a bit and I, you know, I take the metro, I take the train. Uh, so I'm there a lot and I love seeing like the artwork on the walls, the murals, there's an enormous fish tank. I think it's great. I think the art in Union Station is super diverse and it gives a voice to a lot of local artists from LA. As a student at Kaufman, I really like that Union Station gives a platform to like all aspiring artists and dancers like myself. The exhibition will begin with a traditional lion dance performed by the local students of the East Wind Foundation and will continue with a walkthrough led by Metro Art. Heidi Zeller, Metro Art's Senior Manager of Cultural Planning and Arts and Community Enrichment, discussed the goals and purpose of this exhibition. One thing that's so fascinating about this particular exhibition is that we're telling a story that's not visible, right? I mean, the, the history of that site, you know, before it was Union Station, this train station and, and transportation hub, really, for the region, you know, Chinatown did exist there. And it was a very vibrant community with people who lived there and worked there and went to school there. And L.A. is such a, a city of people who are coming from all over the country and the world and might not know that history, even people who grew up here. Um, so we're, we're trying to tell that story and, and do it justice. L.A.'s original Chinatown carries a lot of history and dates all the way back to the 19th century. It was once an extremely bustling and vibrant community filled with families, businesses, and associations. Mayan Alcantara, the senior manager of transportation planning and arts and community enrichment for Metro Art, shared more about just how meaningful the exhibition will be for the Los Angeles community, especially those with families connected to the original Chinatown. One of the really special things about the event that we had tonight is the multi-generational connection that is subtly highlighted. You know, we have students from the Eastland Foundation, and we have living members of the descendants of the families whose stories are associated with the exhibition. What we're hoping is that people understand that this is the history, and there was no specific end date. These legacies, these stories, these families, these traditions are, are continuing, right? It's a living, breathing thing. You can join in and be a part of Union Station's history and legacy beginning tonight at 5.30. For Annenberg Media, I'm Pickle Coleman. The Georgia District Attorney prosecuting former President Donald Trump and his allies for election interference took the stand today to defend herself against lawyers seeking to remove her from the case. The DA spoke forcefully and contentiously to defend herself against allegations that she benefited financially from a relationship she had with the lead prosecutor she hired to manage the case. Susan Irienda reports. After the 2020 election, then-President Donald Trump and his allies refused to accept that he lost the state of Georgia. They are accused of violating the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organization Act, or RICO Act, by knowingly and willingly conspiring to unlawfully change the outcome of the election in favor of Trump. The person who filed this case was Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. Her job is to investigate and prosecute criminal offenses on behalf of the people in Georgia. But today, 
Willis took the stand at a hearing to investigate whether there was any misconduct in her office while prosecuting Trump. Specifically, the hearing looked at whether the lead prosecutor, who was also her lover, was paid and financially benefited Willis. She took the stand unexpectedly today and started out combative. I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. Both Willis and the lead prosecutor, Nathan Wade, claimed that their romantic relationship started in 2022, after he was hired for the case against Trump. However, at today's hearing, an ex-friend of Willis, Robin Bryant Yurdy, testified that they were together before the Trump case even began. During their relationship, the couple went on trips to Belize, Aruba, and Napa Valley. Willis and Wade say she paid him back for the trips, which denied the beneficiary claims. Today, Willis said, I don't need anything from a man. A man is not a plan. A man is a companion. And so there was tension always in our relationship, which is why I was give him his money back. I don't need anybody to foot my bills. The only man who's ever foot my bills completely is my daddy. So what does all of this mean for the Trump case? If the court decides that misconduct occurred in the district attorney's office, it could disqualify Willis and her team from the case against Trump. It usually takes months to create a new prosecution team, and this delay could harm their goal of prosecuting Trump before the 2024 election. The case will resume tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. For Annenberg Media, I'm Susan Yurenda. This ain't Texas. Grab your furs, spurs, and boots. Beyonce just released two new singles with a country twang twist. They're from her upcoming album, which will be act two of her three-act project. Act two drops at the end of March. In these three albums, Beyonce explores and promotes black influencers in her music, fashion, and beyond. Here's Nathan Silva with the story. This ain't Texas. Ain't no hold'em. Beyonce is going country. On Sunday evening, Beyonce dropped this song, Texas Hold'em, and another one called 16 Carriages, a part of her country-inspired album to be released next month. This album is more than a musical experiment for Beyonce. It's a chance to promote, embrace, and reclaim country music's culturally diverse history. Robert Randolph plays rock and folk steel guitar on 16 Carriages. 16 carriages driving away while I watch them ride with my dreams away to the summer sunset on a holy night. He described Beyonce's Act 2 vision to Rolling Stone by saying, It almost seemed like it was supposed to be out of left field when a black artist says, Hey, I'm going to do a country record. It's crazy that the whole world doesn't understand the history of country music. Country music originated in the southern United States and tends to focus on working-class Americans and blue-collar American life. But it's always been a diverse genre coming from a wide variety of cultures. The music combines white, black, and Native American cultures, among many others. These have all contributed to the sounds and singing styles we associate with country music today. Queen Bay has been trying to spotlight American black cowboys for years now. In an interview with Harper's Bazaar for her Ivy Park rodeo fashion line, she said her inspiration was black rodeos she attended growing up that helped black people reclaim their place in Western history and culture. Beyonce's goal now is to erase the stereotypes and reclaim black artistry in the world of music. 
Act 1 of her three-part project also recognized past black musicians while also paving the way for new black artists. Ashley Ware is a video game design major at USC. I know like uh, her last album, Renaissance, uh, it set like a theme for her next two albums, which is the reclamation of historically black music. Um, so I think, because I, I don't really normally listen to country music, but like Beyonce making country music, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a listen. Sophomore Marielle Manzella studies public relations. Music is just art, and I don't think there should be any kind of stereotype or label for people who listen to specific genres of music. Black artists like Charlie Pride, Linda Martell, and Ray Charles have made major contributions to country and paved the way for the future of the genre. Garth White is a senior studying economics. He argues that music is a versatile art with no limits on who can create what. Good music is good music, no matter who sings it, and I support any good music, whatever walks of life they come from, whatever religion, whatever gender, race, religious belief, anything like that. The most awarded Grammy winner, Beyonce, continues to embrace black artists of the past while making big strides for black artists of the future. For Annenberg Media, I'm Nathan Silva. Photogenic shoot. Each week, we highlight an individual who is defining what it means to be an entrepreneur in their own field. Joining us today in the studio is Chef Jordan Roberson, creator of Jordy's Joint, who serves soul food amongst other catering services. I'm here for the food, and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So tell us, Jordan, what defines soul food to you, and how has it made its way into your life? Yeah, so soul food to me is just a fusion of all cultures. Um, it's ancestral, it's the future, um, it's the present, and I think it brings everyone together, it makes everyone happy. Um, that's what soul food means to me, and um, it's always been something that's been in my family, so I'm just really happy to be able to cook it and serve people. You know, soul food can be defined differently in different cultures. I grew up in India, so I sort of view curry as such like mm. a very meaningful soul food for me. So what inspires your style of cooking and like what is your soul food? Right. Um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, soul food is truly such a comfort food. It's anything that makes you feel that makes you feel good. Um, my personal style of soul food, I think I try to make it as healthy as I can, but without like changing the way that it tastes. Um, so that's using like different cooking strategies because soul food has many implications on people of color, you know, when they eat it every single day. When you have those fried foods, those really salty foods, it kind of can be hard. Um, so my way of cooking soul food, I could say make fried chicken, but use an air fryer instead. Um, so it's just kind of reimagining the limits of soul food. Yeah, so with that in mind, like in talking about what the way that you cook things, what would you say are your top three ingredients that you use while making soul food? Um, top ingredients, well, I would have to say my Cajun seasoning. Um, if you ain't seasoning, you ain't sneezing. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely Cajun seasoning. I use a lot of thyme in my food as well. Fresh thyme leaves, very good. And um, I'll say a mix of red bell peppers and green bell peppers because I do Creole food as well. So would you say it's like spicier? It can be, yes. I like to add a little pizzazz. I love spicy food and like this is making me really hungry. But 
but I do want to get into the fact like what do you what is the significance and impact of sort of bringing soul food to LA because like you said like people of color have a different like ha- different impact of like how they consume soul food mm-hmm. but like LA is at least in my opinion such like a healthy place where like mm-hmm. people are trying to get into like healthy foods so it's like what is the significance of bringing that to LA yeah that's a great question well to be clear, like soul food has been in L.A. There's areas of South L.A. where soul food has always been and people of color um, like have their restaurants. I've been there for years. But I think what's really important to me is bringing soul food to USC and bringing that like health conscious soul food to L.A. Um, you know, you kind of notice sometimes there's like a lot of vegan restaurants in L.A. And I notice sometimes there's vegan soul food restaurants. So that's really cool to me. Um, just being able to revolutionize that food and um, be able to have it last throughout generations and maintain healthy and for other people to try and be influenced as well so what is your favorite meal to cook and eat that soul food my favorite thing to cook is definitely my big mac and cheese oh of course Um, i have so good and it just always looks good like taking a picture when you have that cheese bowl it's just amazing and so you like you like to eat that as well i'm imagining yes okay okay (laughs) okay Let's see. If I have a Thanksgiving plate and it's all soul food, I'm definitely going for the collard greens and the mac and cheese. And some people think I'm crazy, but when it has like that green juice and mixes the mac and cheese, like that's fire. And the candy yams, yeah, that's just like the holy trinity to me. Well, I'm going for that mac and cheese. Oh yeah. Uh, Someone in my class yesterday had like a plate of soul food, and I was like, oh, that looks so good. Mm-hmm. Pass over the mac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we all clearly are very hungry, <laughs> but uh, when like when you don't prepare the food. Um, where where do you go around to in LA specifically, uh, especially around USC mm-hmm. even like to get soul food? Great question. Um, when I was younger and my parents would take me to LA because they're LA natives, we'd go to Roscoe's a lot and they have really good chicken and waffles. But now that I'm older and I've been able to discover my favorite places, I definitely love Harold and Bell's, which is um, Creole. They have good Cajun food, but Fixins in downtown LA is definitely top tier to me. I think their food is amazing. I think our producer agrees with you because she is definitely vibing with all the food <laughs> choices here. So um, I think you get sort of like the green light here. But thank you so much for joining us. Of this course. was great, aside from us being hungry now. Uh, but for everybody, that was Jordan from Jordy's Joint. Thank yes. you. Thanks, guys. And that's all we have time for on today's From Where We Are. Dacial and Satcher, Anthony Klingerman, and Nicole Bednar produced today's show. We had help from Roman Marchetti, Aliyah Noll, and Delaney Polochek. Sam Bittman runs our soundboard, Aaron Lee manages our live stream, and Derek Renfro composed our theme music. Catch us live on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News, Monday through Thursday at 5 p.m. Subscribe to From Where We Are, wherever you're listening right now. And follow us on Instagram at Annenberg Radio. I'm Zain Khan. And I'm Erica Driscoll. From all of us at Annenberg Radio, wherever you are, we hope you'll join us again for From From Where Where We Are. Are. So, Erica, what are you doing for the long weekend? Well, right after this, I'm hopping on a plane to go across the coast for a wedding. Well, I hope you come back with the bouquet.